0: We are entering a new age, an age demanding greater collaboration, enhanced creativity, heightened agility. Welcome to Agile and Beyond, a podcast for agile enthusiasts, design thinkers, team builders, and organization designers. With practitioners and thinkers, we explore the future of work, the evolutions in leadership mindset, and the revolutions in the human-centered innovation around experience. In the final episode of a three-part conversation with Chuck Durfee, Agile Coach, Development Manager, Agile Denver Board Member Emeritus, Recent MBA Graduate, Recovering Developer, and Friend of Neon to Everywhere, we covered a myriad of topics. Leadership Styles, Agile and Ethics, Power Distribution in Agile Enterprises, Political Correctness, Cargo Cult Agile, How Millennials Were Raised, The Creative Process, How Agile is Changing the Workplace, The Problems with Matrix Management, Chuck's Workplace Nirvana and Dream Role, NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month, and His Humorous Experiences in Writing Fiction how early design choices shape the final product his bread and butter experimentation innovation and managing risk and now welcome to the final episode of a three-part conversation with Chuck Durfee true which which makes which leads me into your your MBA studies so you you were a uh... A software engineer and an agilist, a, a, a self-taught agilist, I guess. Sure. And 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 teacher uh, of of others of this mindset. What led you? What, MBA. Why Why get an MBA? Yeah. Sure.
1: Yeah. So uh, I first started uh, becoming fascinated with computers because uh, I could teach them to do various things and i became interested in solving those kinds of problems and then my career progressed and i started dealing with software and i started being interested in process it's the, it wasn't i was doing the i was creating the same kinds of programs over and over but i was interested in the way that i was creating those programs after process Sorry. That's okay.
0: I'm trying to turn the ringer off. But uh, who knows what happened
1: there. <laughs> So started becoming interested in uh, computer problems, and then it was process problems, but then I began to realize that many of the challenges that I was having in implementing agile processes and so forth were differences in people. So I started becoming interested in people problems. People problems is management. Uh, I grew up in... Uh, the IT organization, uh, my entire professional career, has all been in IT. And I've begun to understand, uh, especially through my MBA, but I've even understood beforehand that there's more to uh, business life than just information technology. And so uh, an MBA to me was a natural step in order to gain uh, some exposure to those ideas and figure out where to go from here. And what uh, what threads uh, to 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 go back to the, the yeah.
0: earlier uh, discussion, what threads within your studies or before you started your studies were? I'd like to I'd like to pull on this thread and see oh, where that sure. goes, and wh- so what many. thread and where did they lead you? And did you find that
1: some of them were overlapping, or how, what was? Well, in the interest of full disclosure, I've been an MBA graduate for a week and a half now, so I don't know that I pulled many of those threads, but I can tell you what they are. Um, Leadership studies was very interesting. So there's a lot of formal structure around different styles of leadership, you know, authoritative leadership versus a more persuasive style, for example. So that gave me a whole new vocabulary to start thinking about what we do in Agile and servant leadership and which is really the only common leadership term that we have, but there are a number of different ways to describe approaches that managers take. And then I think to the ethics class that we took about uh, defining moments and how to make morally just decisions. That also feeds into Agile. You Teams wield a ton of power in an Agile organization. How do you know that... Not only are they building the product, but they're also building it the way you want. A common manifestation of this is incurring technical debt irresponsibly. And that's an ethical question. Well, Incurring technical debt responsibility
0: is an ethical question? It's not
1: normally framed that way, but you could certainly think of it in an ethical lens. Is this the right thing to do? Should I be taking on this particular piece of technical debt right now? Is that the responsible thing for the organization or do i well know that we're not likely to revisit this topic in a timely manner and it's going to cause customers a bunch of pain
0: that, that that's interesting i've been doing some some reading myself in this area and i can't recall it but yes. i but i have noticed that um a lot of these terms that we think of violence for example or mm. ethics that we're moving into a into a situation where the thresholds where we consider something ethical or unethical Mm. or violent or not violent or forceful or not forceful are shifting. And there's a demand in this, these human centered workplaces and these agile workplaces and maybe self managed organizations or, or where we want to increase collaboration that it's a lot of it's about Lowering our thresholds for pain, lowering our um, thresholds for offending somebody, lowering our thresholds for um,
1: things of this, becoming more sensitive Mm -hmm. to these issues. A lot of people, myself included, would argue that the political correctness movement went too far in that direction where we were intolerant of different worldviews, where we could not uh, risk offending people through... What to me seems like fairly um, um, innocent speech. Of course, there's the other side too. Uh, I, I don't mean to be insensitive to people who are triggered by certain concepts or are uh, experiencing persecution because of their beliefs or other aspects of themselves. But I, I do think that movement went too far and. Uh, not to become terribly political but i think a lot no it's fine because i I don't
0: think it's possible to really talk about this stuff without touching on sure these things um
1: a, a lot of what i've heard trump supporters say one of the reasons that they are very supportive of him is because he speaks very frankly and and not in a sensitive manner so to tie that back into your original question you're absolutely right the um with the fact that if you take a look at uh, folks like um, Agile teams, uh, they do need to embody this uh, concept of diversity that we were just discussing and this tolerance for risk and new ideas and failure. If you're not willing to do that, you end up with um, Agile in name only. Kinds of failed agile implementations where they take the trappings. Uh, I often call it cargo cult agile, where you have the, just the trappings but not the mindset that underlies all of this. Mm-hmm. The process, but not the mindset. The the well, mecha-
0: the, me- the the mechan the, the mechanisms or the, some of the mechanisms. Sure, the process
1: won't work without the mindset.
0: So, to, I think that the concept that you political correctness is 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 kind of always been a, a strange thing for me i remember back in university it became an issue this was in the early 90s still is and it, today and it yeah. still is today but i think that was the beginning of it in the early mm-hmm. 90s where it became like the the thing to talk about on campus and i think correct me if i'm wrong but i think one of the pro- one of the ways in which it perhaps went too far is that it it is it didn't allow it doesn't allow the healthy exam exploration of conflict with the other. It, it's just it says you should not speak of these things, mm-hmm. and so it just allows things mm-hmm. to fester and without a, a natural evolution of of the idea and for people to gain a, a mutual understanding of each other. I, I don't know. I'm just throwing this out there.
1: No, I'm completely in agreement with you. That's absolutely true. Uh, another manifestation of the same idea is the um, participation culture that the current generation has grown up through. Um, there's been a lot made of the millennial generation and some of the challenges that they they may exhibit or experience coming into the workforce. And I think one of those I certainly noticed with my children was um, we really de-emphasized conflict and and really um, impose or, well, we really encouraged our children to get along but we didn't do it in a healthy way where they were able to we didn't teach them good skills for handling conflict um, you see this with uh, you know, all kids get participation awards so they don't really learn the benefits of competition or striving for a goal that they haven't reached yet or,
0: or the benefits of building character from losing, well, which, sure. are, yes, for example. The,
1: well, that's yeah, that's a good. Uh, that's really where I was trying to go there, because we were just talking about the idea that, you know, in Agile and in discourse, you need that. You need not to fear failure, but you need to experience failure and challenge and have. That's part of the creative process. you, you, you don't create a masterpiece every time. Some ideas don't pan out, and you need the ability to explore those. Otherwise, you end up uh, with very conservative behavior. You'll try very sure things, and you'll make very small incremental steps. Well, probably more of a drunken walk in the same area. (laughs) Brownian (laughs) motion. Yes. Huh. Huh. That was a really far tangent from where we started, but it's, that's fine. It, it's all it's all germane to this idea of the way that agile is transforming the world of work and what some of the characteristics of those are, and comparing it to how things used to be. Well, this comes to the the, the, the which touches on the question you asked ten minutes ago, which was <laughs>
0: about conflict, or even before that, you
1: were asking about um, the advantages of matrix management. And then we started talking about how that came about. And and and
0: this example that we're giving is showing an advantage of matrix management or no, a disadvantage. Not at
1: all. Um, well, I would argue that matrix management is the wrong solution to many problems, as I mentioned before. It doesn't. The difficulty with matrix management is that you are giving individual contributors. Competing sets of priorities, and you're asking them to make value judgments, often without uh, any guidance as to uh, the importance of, or I should say, the consequences of those particular decisions. If we use the uh, the accountant who's working uh, with the sales department as an example, if uh, I've got uh, regulatory requirements that are coming down to me from accounting, but uh, sales is wanting. Uh, quick turnaround time on their expense reports, I can be put in a pretty tight bind if those regulations are requiring me to go uh, at a slower pace than the sales group would prefer. Right, right. And if I don't, if I, as a, a higher level manager, am not providing the guidance for this person to tell them how, what's important, then I might not get the result that I want. Same kind of thing happens with agile teams. If you don't, uh, if you put a lot of constraints around an agile team, you're not going to get the benefits of agile. They need some room to explore and to try new things, and right? In safety, ideate, or ideate, right? Right, right, right. right.
0: So, two part question. But you can mix it up any way you want. You're free. You're free. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you freedom. However, you want to deal. That's with
1: good. I think I've proven throughout this conversation that I take freedom with a lot of the questions you've been asking. <laughs> so that's good. Uh, thanks for the sanction there. Um,
0: now, now, now i lost. It. Okay, and I'm told free to, to make make uh, mistakes it. here myself. Um, what is your nirvana? Let's say. Let's say. Mm-hmm. You were given. Somebody said, "Chuck, I'm going to give you as much money as you want to explore whatever you want." Okay, so money is off the table. Okay, fair. Okay, within some reasonable, no, but I, enough I, I, for I, you to get started. Sure. Where you don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Where you can bootstrap yourself to something big. Um. So you have some kind of an organization. You clearly have some network, so you can pull in i I'm, I'm sure you can think of some people that you might want to pull in and you're free to pick a market a product a service something you want to provide society okay. go <laughs> what would you what do would I pick what would you do okay. and how would how would you do it what would how would you organize your organization who would you what kind of people would you pull on how would you would you know what role would you take
1: Wow, that's a really. Long, uh, I, I long.
0: basically, I'm basically saying yeah. you're God.
1: Yeah, I know. I hear you. That's a very broad question. So, uh, I'll apologize in advance for rambling a bit because it's going to take a bit to piece all these things together. The for my my daughter for her environmental science class just recently was. Uh, Tasked with coming up to with an innovative approach to generating electricity, and uh, it turned out that she uh, independently invented something that already exists. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it was an interesting application of it, and it was something that I would certainly be interested in exploring. So I'm just going to pick that as my test bed here. So the the project that she picked was um, using the natural motion of Um, Let me explain the commercial application that already exists. So there are um, devices uh, today that can generate um, hundreds of megawatts worth of electricity simply by... uh, through the motion of uh, ocean waves. So, the, the deal is that uh, either they're on leveler arms or there are other mechanisms where they'll go up and I'm moving my arms up and down, which you can't see through the
0: audio. Sorry. No, we can feel it. it we that's we good. can hear it. That's good. We're getting a yeah. low frequency that's out here.
1: So, you know, these things are going up and down and generating huge differentials, right? It turns out that there are companies that have similar ideas, but they're mimicking natural biological motions. So, for example, uh, they might have uh, a device that's sitting on top of a pole in the water and it has kind of a fishtail on the end, and it moves and it oscillates back and forth, and that motion is uh, uh, exaggerated by the, the flow of the ocean current in that area. Her idea was to take that same kind of technology and apply it to a river, which is not something that's being done today. So she wanted to, uh, uh, another example, uh, the fishtail was, um, I I thought was particularly uh, cool, but um, the one that she was looking at was more kind of seaweed algae, which is just kind of flowing back and forth, um, a little bit like um, those little traffic dividers that are sitting up, you know, the very tall, thin ones. They would just be sitting on the ocean floor, and they would be moving back and forth with the the pressure of the waves but it in a river i mean in an ocean you have
0: clear clear waves but sure. rivers tend to be kind of a constant more of a constant
1: flow they do that's true but they're they're not uh, entirely consistent flow it, okay. it's not like you just have this uh, block of water that's moving along at a steady pace there's uh some areas of the current are moving faster than others. You get eddies mm-hmm. and and, okay. and other behavior. Um, the advantage to doing a system like this is that it could be done very cheaply and could be done in mass, and you could drop it into um, some rural area and be able to create a, a reasonable amount of electricity for a small city.
0: Right, and I guess dealing with uh, a river would be a lot easier building something using the the landscape around a river would be a lot easier than building something in the middle of the ocean with no no structures in which to attach anything
1: right you're not building some oil rig platform in order to make this happen so let's pretend that that we can work out the technology of that you were asking what kind of team i would need i definitely need some hydraulic engineers and people who are specialty specialists in that area but I would also want to build a team uh, that contained some other disciplines as well. So if you were to ask, uh, no offense to hydraulic engineers, but if you were to ask <laughs> a half a dozen <laughs> hydraulic engineers to solve a problem, you're getting an answer that's pretty squarely in the, the wheelhouse of what's known hydraulic engineering. If I bring folks like a biologist and a sociologist and physicists together, I'm going to get a much different solution. So I'd want to bring together a group with some diverse viewpoints that could help bring this idea forward. I'd also, of course, need some business acumen. I I have some, but there are areas that I would definitely want. Uh, For example, uh, even though I made uh, mention of the accounting classes that I took earlier, I figured out that that's not my calling in life. So I would definitely want an expert in that area. But So I want to bring together a diverse group of people. What role would I take in that organization is a little bit more interesting to me. Uh, I want to be in a facilitator role, but I'm not, I'm not certain I would be the best project manager for this particular group. That's well, is necessarily... a facilitator
0: and a, are, are a facilitator and a project manager the same thing? So
1: management is not the same as leadership, right? So the question would be: Am I uh, writing out the specification for what I want soup to nuts and making sure that all of the pieces align? That's more of a management. Or am I inspiring people to solve this problem in a creative way? I would much rather be that facilitator and leader. I've found that that's really. That's really where my passion lies.
0: Now, I can see that. I can see that. I, and I find it intriguing. The idea of bringing for, for what at first glance appears to be a straight-up engineering problem, your recommendation on the team, and it could be a very small team or a very large team, depending on how large this organization gets, is to have is, – is to invite – um, on people with disciplines that don't typically fit into this world, and I find that interesting. All,
1: all the ones that I picked are related, but yes, they don't typically fit. Like in the sociologists,
0: world. You, I think you mentioned sure, sociologists. Sure, I did. Yeah. Was it, w- what were the others that you mentioned?
1: Oh, um, I just came up with those examples off the top of my head, but I'll try to recreate here. Or maybe, or maybe um, so or you were just I randomly said stating that. I said um, there were a couple of others that I mentioned earlier. But uh, the point of bringing, and, and those don't necessarily need to be um, core members of, of the team, but I would want those ideas incorporated into the product because um, I, I want an innovative solution to the particular challenge that I'm after. It does me no good to create a technically brilliant solution that would work, but would um, not work within the society in which it's deployed if I'm uh, if my solution has collateral effects um, maybe it makes a ton of noise for example people might not want to live anywhere near this thing whereas I had envisioned it being in city center so uh, I need well uh, that would imply maybe an urban planner but uh, you know I need that holistic view of the problem so that I can come up with a Solution that will meet the needs of the entire group, or at least as much of the group as I can please. You, you know, PT Barnum. You can't please everybody all the time, but I, I try to optimize for that.
0: That's interesting. So, where would you say this particular seed of this idea, if you could trace back your own development, <laughs> at which point in your development would that did that idea first appear?
1: Which idea are we talking of, of
0: oh, The idea of this holistic piece. view piece and, and the multidisciplinary team aiding in the
1: co-creation of this holistic piece. There have been a number of examples uh, of that in my life, but I would probably go back to the Montessori School if you want the real genesis of that idea the best solutions that we came up with were when i was working with people that i didn't know very well and sometimes didn't even like that <laughs> they would be critical of ideas they wouldn't be afraid to to tell me that's stupid but if you press them and they give a reasonable answer you can incorporate that into your idea and that's uh, a lot of uh, a lot of learning happened through that conflict Interesting.
0: So having a thick skin, being able to take criticism, is a, a it's important. You have to be able to deal with and, that to to thrive in this
1: and environment. I'll, and I'll be frank with you, that's an area that I'm working on right now. Uh, you you need a thick skin, and it can be tough to have your you know to kill your babies, as they say in the writing profession, right? Right, right,
0: right. It, which actually, which lead you 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 write fiction? I guess is that
1: is that, that true? That is something that I have done. Yes, I continue to do it. <laughs> Interesting. Science fiction or...? uh... Uh, So a lot of the stuff that I've done is science fiction. Uh, I've done uh, NaNoWriMo, uh, which is National Novels Writers Month Challenge. I've done that a couple times now. Um, One of them was uh, a contemporary... uh, I don't know if I'd exactly call it a romance, but it was certainly a romantic drama... It had nothing to do with science fiction at all. The, the int- So uh, NaNoWriMo is another interesting lens to explore this topic with, right? The goal is that you're going to write 50,000 words in 30 days, and you have no time to edit. You just start writing. Wow. It, you know, it's, for, for me, it was three hours a day writing. So uh, there's no time to go back, and, and in fact, you're, you're told not to. So if you start writing in a certain direction, you have to figure out a way, made a way to make it work. And that was very educational. So I, I didn't set out to, to write that kind of novel, but that's the way that... The structure. That was, again, the structure the, that yielded a particular... Some early design choices, yeah. Ended up creating that structure. Interesting. Interesting. It's a drivel. I, I would never publish it, but the creative process was immensely valuable. Oh,
0: and I'm sure you've, you have learned a lot of techniques, uh, That could come through. This reminds me, and I can't remember what it was, but I I had Mm -hmm. a friend of mine that introduced me to a some European um, team of authors. Mm. And so, what happened is kind of similar, where one author would write one chapter, yeah, and then another author would the other author they would they would they switched on and off one chapter was written by one author and then you know the even author and then the odd author so you got into this tension of i don't like that character so i'm going to kill him <laughs> off or i'm going to make it difficult for him or you know this sort of thing and it it created these uh, very interesting
1: uh, stories oh i'd love to hear more yeah that sounds fascinating yeah it's exactly the kind of tension that i noticed within myself
0: <laughs> <laughs> became very schizophrenic in the
1: process well not exactly sort. but you know it, it, you would make some off-handed comments in the first week and here you are in week 4 and wondering why in the world you said this thing because it's going to make life life for you as a writer a lot more difficult later on interesting you know why did a uh, in my particular case uh, I had introduced this character who uh, really Complicated the development of my primary character because um, with this character in the picture, my character didn't have any reason to, to grow. They There was nothing driving this character to go off and, and have this adventure that I had intended for them to have, so I had to figure out what to do with this person. Oh, so what, you, what you what had I really to waste was,
0: time getting rid of this person in some was, way. What I
1: really had done was I had created... If, if i had had the luxury of going back and editing this person would have become these two characters would have merged there were two these two characters were pretty similar in their story role That's really what i'm trying to say and so i had to figure out some way to inter, interweave this plot and differentiate them interesting and yes, one did fall by the wayside pretty quickly. Well,
0: it, actually, what you're describing here makes me think of uh, one of Hermann Hesse's uh, story, hmm. Narcissist and Goldmund," ah. which sort of seemed like the yin and yang of one person at some level. And I'm wondering I only know if-
1: Steppenwolf, but yeah, I've, I, that tension exists in Hesse's writing for sure. Yeah, interesting. But you know, now now that I think about it,
0: the fact that you produce this challenge for yourself. Perhaps exactly. drove your story. It, did. it was the challenge. It was what made it I'm interesting. Sorry, yes, I implied it,
1: but didn't say it. Yes, that's really what drove the entire development, and that's where the thing skyrocketed. Because I had this creative tension that I had to resolve, and that was the propellant for that story.
0: And so, it's so originally, you're like, "This is a big problem. My well, my was. original character can't can't develop," but then. The, sh- the focus I guess shifted on what the focus of the story was exactly
1: it was about 10,000 words in and the story was basically over <laughs> <laughs> interesting but it was in dealing with the subsequent problem that introduced the antagonist and actually took the story off in a totally different direction that's great are you
0: still Are you still experimenting with writing or are you just been um, so not busy with your the, MBA? yeah
1: not since the MBA a lot of my interests got put on the side but I'm sure that I will get back to it that's Fascinating. that's a likely uh, endeavor actually so is there
0: anything anything we've 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 taken a very I've gone in a lot of different directions is there something that you would like to talk about or no we definitely kind of have s- talked about
1: the the key pieces for me and that's that experimentation innovation managing risk kind of world that's that's my bread and butter these days very cool very cool so um, how can
0: people? Are you still associated? Are you just, you still have a well? You're the emeritus. Your I association,
1: a, yeah. I, I still am part of the leadership of Agile Denver. That's where you're going. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So, how can people uh, learn more about uh, Agile
1: Denver, for example? So we were talking about uh, earlier before this podcast of some ideas of the potential of Agile Denver, and this is certainly one of them. So if you were interested in learning more about Agile Denver today, the best resource that I have for you would be the Meetup group. So meetup.com slash Agile Denver would be the place that I would go and take a look. Uh, We're also available on LinkedIn, and uh, you could always uh, at Agile Denver on Twitter if you wanted. But that would be the best place to get started with the organization. Right.
0: And um, how can people get a hold of you or get in touch with
1: you? Uh, Similar means, but not through Meetup. So (laughs) (laughs) Um, probably the easiest public ways to get a hold of me would be uh, Twitter, uh, at Chuck Durfee. I'm also, of course, on many of the social media platforms. Uh, I do blog at neontapir.github.io. Neontapir is N-E-O-N-T-A-P-I-R. And I'll talk about that in just a second. Um, you could also email me at peer at gmail.com. Those are probably the three easiest ways to get a hold of me. I'd love to, to further the conversation. And uh, the look on your face is uh, why that particular name. So... Um, Tapirs have always been uh, uh, an animal that that I've uh, enjoyed and felt a, uh, I was going to say kinship, but that's probably not the right word, an affinity toward. Um, Tapirs are somewhat um, medium-sized mammals. They're about the size of maybe a a pig or maybe a small deer. Uh, They exist in brazil and malaysia these days but their habitats becoming deforested Uh, every moment they're losing habitat and it turns out that they're a vital link in the ecosystem of those areas Hmm. Um, they're to me incredibly cute Um, if you could imagine uh, a very lean pig with a little bit of an elephant snout that comes just over their mouth (laughs) that's kind of what they look like Um, and they swim a lot and they they're very passive they're herbivores so uh, they're fun to walk. walk look at it, zoos um, way back uh, maybe 20-25 years ago uh, back when LiveJournal was big um, there was a meme that was going around we were talking about memes earlier mm-hmm. and it was um, it involved pairing colors with animals and uh, I didn't like any of the options that they had so uh this was the that was the combination that I picked and that was a nickname that stuck with me uh for a long time and continues to this neon day tapir. actually neon tapir. What yeah.
0: color is neon? Uh, an neon orange it, or uh, well, or neon a green isn't really
1: a color, right? It's a, a descriptor. Um, yeah. It's kind of bright or something. Neon itself is pink, right? But yeah. Okay. Interesting.
0: Neon tapir. And that's, that's tapir
1: right. is T A P I R. Yes. I spelled IR. it for you earlier, but you'll yeah, probably edit yeah, that out. No, no, that's fine. Or you'll edit out the comment that I'll <laughs> <It's>, edit out. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> let really sometimes it. <laughs> it, uh,
0: spelling verbal spell. I'm, I'm yeah. very good at uh, picking up spelling visually, but when it's spoken, I can be a little a little slow in the uptake. Yeah, no, it's quite <laughs> that's quite fine. <laughs> All right, well, it's been a real pleasure, Chuck.
1: I've really enjoyed this too, Dan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, on.
0: yeah, thank you very much. Take care. You too. This completes the third and final episode of A Conversation with Chuck Durfee. You can connect with Chuck Durfee on LinkedIn, follow him on Twitter at Chuck Durfee, and read his latest blog post at neontapir.github.io. That's N-E-O-N-T-A-P-I-R. He would be happy to receive your questions and comments at neontapir at gmail.com. If you wish to learn more about Agile Denver, you can connect with the organization on LinkedIn and follow Agile Denver on Twitter at Agile Denver. To learn about future meetings, search for Agile Denver on meetup.com at meetup.com forward slash Agile Denver. You can also visit agiledenver.org. Stay tuned for these upcoming episodes. Recently, I was very fortunate to have interviewed John Spence, who is recognized as one of the top 100 business thought leaders and as one of the top 500 leadership development experts in the world. He is an international keynote speaker and management consultant and has written five books on business and life success. As some of you may have already noticed, agileandbeyond.co is currently under construction. Once it goes live in several days, please visit and subscribe to the Agile and Beyond newsletter. Thank you. been listening to Agile and Beyond. Visit agileandbeyond.co and subscribe on iTunes. Until next time, keep evolving.